Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target, are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall Credit Card Bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall Credit Card Bill. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. This series presents the evidence pretty dispassionately. It gives everybody involved a chance to talk. Absolutely insane. Just out of nowhere. An incredible scoop for Deadspin. I mean, the media saw it and took it because it's an incredible elevator pitch. Welcome to the big stream. I am Kyle Coster. I'm here with Stephen Douglas, and we have a doozy for you today. We each watched Untold, the two-part Netflix documentary series, The Girlfriend Who Didn't Exist. Great title. This is the Manti Teo story. And I think we have to start our conversation with our place in this story, which is a bit removed, but also a lot closer, I think, than a lot of people. Because both of us were working in the blog game when this story broke. Deadspin published it right around the time Manti Teo was going for a Heisman Trophy right around the time Notre Dame was competing for a national championship. And I don't think that there's ever been a bigger sports blog story. This, I'll never forget the moment I found out. I'll never forget the time it came across Twitter and seemingly everybody in the world clicked over to it and turned to the person next to them and be like, can you believe this? What's going on? Things got more confusing in the days that would pass after that initial scoop. Uh, It's something that we've kind of rediscovered looking back at some of our own archives. But this is the big one. This is perhaps one of the most shocking things that's ever happened in sports and in sports media side. There's been lingering questions about it now for almost a decade, because I think that even though the initial concerns and questions about Teo's involvement shifted to seeing him as a victim nobody has been able to truly understand how he fell for this hoax because it seemed like there were many red flags this series presents the evidence pretty dispassionately it gives everybody involved a chance to talk and my takeaway from it is if you don't walk away from these two hours feeling incredibly sympathetic towards Teo and perhaps a bit regretful about some of the jokes that were made and how he was treated, then I just don't really think that you have a soul because it goes beat by beat showing exactly what went down. And I think so many people could put themselves in his shoes and understand 
this was a different time before catfishing. And more than that, he conducted himself extremely well. And I walked away so much more impressed, so much more understanding and so much more appreciative of what Tao has been through over these last nine years. Yeah. For uh, Manti Teo, it was just, it was an incredible uh, documentary for him. Uh, he got to tell his side of the story completely. It was, I thought he came off as very uh, relatable and, you know, you really did feel for him and all the stuff that he went through, uh, especially like the part about how it kind of, it kind of put his career off track for like three years. It seemed after he got drafted, like he was just not the same out there until he was able to, uh, start seeing a therapist and working through the issues i don't know it was just it was a, a very pretty powerful yeah you said it was uh, kind of dispassionately uh presented it did a great job of just walking through the entire thing like i i had i remember when it hit it, it was definitely one of those once in a i don't know one once a year, maybe we get one thing that hits and it's like, that's all anyone talks about. Everyone's just, it's like the slap. I mean, that was one of those incidents that's just like, as soon as it happens, like everyone focuses on this one thing. And with the Teo story, uh, it was absolutely insane. Just out of nowhere, an incredible scoop for Deadspin, you know, that old school Deadspin, real Deadspin. You know, I'm, I'm super jealous that, Deadspin is the I for some reason we never uh I mean Jason always got like uh media stuff which we still hang on to we still do media stuff but like just that kind of tip coming in I mean that very easily could have come to like the big lead it didn't unfortunately but then again we also didn't have uh we don't have Tim Burke who is just what a tour de force for him just getting to see him in his lair standing in front of the uh all the screens like he's a uh, batman in the dark night i don't know there's just a lot it was it was insane when it happened looking back a lot of stuff came rushing back to me and, and you know and we look back at our archives and it was one of those things where you see it and you immediately start looking for anything related to it and we were just throwing stuff up like manta Iteo said this this happened this happened just like trying to get stuff up and trying to uh, get some of that traffic wave but yeah it was it was fun to look back on it was fun to look back on but also you know you felt you felt really bad for Teo a lot more now especially we should mention this is a player's tribune production so they are in-house i would be saying this was good even if they weren't involved i actually didn't know that until the end oh. uh which was pretty cool to see yeah, it's broken up into two parts. And the first part tells the story of Manti and then Renaya, now Naya. She's since transitioned since the incident. It was a little bit awkward because nobody that was interviewed knew that. So they were kind of misgendering her uh, through no fault of their own. But I mean, what can you do in that situation? I thought that the editor's note helpfully explained that and absolved them of any type of responsibility. She's an interesting character. It shows his rise and so much of it about his background makes sense of why this happened. Okay. I mean, he was, I don't want to say that he was simple, but he was focused on three specific things like faith, family, and football yeah. and wanting to be a good person, always wanting to help out. And this person reached out to him purportedly, you know, a 
good looking girl who was Samoan like himself. So it checked all the boxes of someone that he might be interested in. They started talking. This is after the movie Catfish came out, but the series didn't exist. So it wasn't really in the vernacular. A normal person wouldn't be thinking that they were being tricked. And you understand that he was so busy with his life at Notre Dame that there was simply no way that he was going to be skeptical. Getting out there to meet would have been difficult. You can say, well, maybe all the red flags about not being able to speak on over the computer or see her face. In retrospect, it's really easy to look back and say that. But I got the picture that he was talking to this person. I think he would have talked to pretty much anybody like that. And it started more of a friendship. Like, obviously, they were never romantic physically. Maybe he was attracted to the picture that was used. So to categorize this whole relationship as kind of like boyfriend, girlfriend, which I think made it so much sexier than just like a good friend. Like that's mm -hmm. what made it really pop. It wasn't really that relationship. It was just two people supporting each other, having these long talks, having these long conversations, who knows how many other people he was speaking to. And they go to great lengths to show how popular he was. So I do have questions about how, emotionally invested he was obviously naya was this wasn't the first time she had posed as Lene, and he, and he also kind of wanted to keep this a secret from people and he didn't want to get into it one of the things that always didn't make sense to me was well where was his family where were his friends on this type of stuff and he saw that his best friend expressed some concerns but didn't really feel like it was his place. And then he essentially lied to his father, right? Mm -hmm. He said that they had met. So his father and his mother and his family had no idea that this person didn't really exist. And then also that other people in his family had had a relationship, albeit a catfishing one with this person. We're like, yeah, well, we've met her and people get confused and they can't keep track of every single person that they've met. And maybe they go a step further to increase their credibility or to get on Manti's radar at the time, because that's another thing. It's like, yeah, I have this connection. I'm not going to say, well, I'm not going to like rain on his parade. So there's a lot of people saying yes to you. And there's a lot of people who are just going to back you up. But Manti never had, there was no, his intentions were always pure with this. And he's the victim full stop, full stop. Because even when it gets to the point where he discovers something's amiss, it's too late. He's told those stories and it was heartbreaking. And I felt so bad for him when they flash back to the Heisman ceremony as Chris Fowler brings her up and he's in the midst of a PR strategy with Notre Dame about what to do with this. And he basically says, well, I should just stick to the script and say what I've been saying the whole time, because I don't think there's a single person in America who would use that moment the biggest moment of their life to say, you know, actually there's something weird yeah. going on. I don't know what's happening. Like it's an unreasonable expectation for him to ever come clean. We can be dubious about Notre Dame's willingness to address the situation. Jack Swarbeck is interviewed and he talks about how they had planned to address it, but we're just biding their time. I'm a little bit skeptical about that. No one wins by making a statement. So it's just someone getting caught up in the situation. And that's just the first element of it. And the second part of the series focuses on Deadspin's reporting 
And the biggest thing to take away is they always thought this was a media story. They thought yeah. this was something that was going to make ESPN, Sports Illustrated, more mainstream outlets look bad, which was something that was, I mean, that was right in the center of the bullseye for sports blogs at the time. They didn't anticipate that it would get thrown into the blender and perverted into something that was largely detrimental. And, and looking back, like so far afield from what the actual interesting story elements were here. Yeah, the the media part of the story makes a lot of sense, uh, you know, because, you know, that's what that's what Deadspin, that's what sites like ours, we, you know, we're trying to keep the mainstream media accountable. And when they mess up this kind of stuff without fact checking, you know, it's the kind of stuff we we love to point out. I don't know. I think if Teo had this wouldn't have been um, such a disaster for him if he had just uh, picked up the phone, Tim Burt called he had talked it out and like, I had no idea. I think that would have saved him a lot in the way he was perceived. Um, it still would have been a, a big joke. He always was the guy who was going to, cause he's the one that fell for it. It sounds ridiculous when, when, when we see it and we say it out loud. The one thing that really stood out to me during this, the timing of probably like, I don't understand how she how she jumps from being you know the close friend online to the girlfriend i think if he hadn't been in the locker room on that day when this news happened it might never have become like you know dead girlfriend but i mean he's in the locker room he's freaking out it's like how do you explain that? it's like this girl that i was talking to online and was really close to uh and it's like oh you're like your girlfriend like yeah I mean, that's the easiest way to explain that, like a long distance relationship. I think that his story, if it, if it had just been his grandmother, her death and playing through that pain, I mean, that's still a pretty powerful uh, narrative. And it's just so messed up that that Naya at the time uh, just like I just picked this moment to do this to him when he was at his absolutely most vulnerable. You know, um, just the time, pretty much the timing of every part of this just was absolute worst. And, you know, it just snowballed and it turned into what it did. And, you know, it was it was really interesting to just look back at all of it. You know, I, I was thinking that the original sin in all this from the media side is kind of our addiction to tragedy porn mm -hmm. and whether that the public is wanting that or that's just what we're being fed and it's kind of shocking how it can come how it can become like grist for the mill how many times have we heard a story about a player or a coach who's playing while they're grieving someone in their family has yep. died and i understand that that's like the easiest story in the world to understand and maybe we want to see these athletes as human but when you step back from it it's super weird like i mean it's just kind of like you're adding this public pressure you're forcing these people to grieve and relive the moment over and over and over again and i think that there's some catharsis for the public at large where they're like look at what this person's able to do in the face of all these challenges i wish i could be that strong but i don't think that it's good for the individual because it's just like why do they have to have their tragedy trotted out there 
and made a storyline. And once it becomes the storyline, it's just like you could not talk about Teo without mentioning these two tragic deaths on the same day. I mean, like, how awful is it that his grandmother died and she becomes a footnote, right? Like, yeah. it's just like they're dealing with all this. The way that Naya treated him is reprehensible. Choosing to do it at that time, knowing when that was going on and not stopping. Uh, there's interviews with his mother and father where they're talking about how she's counseling. They're counseling her over the phone, uh, pretending to be someone else about someone. The lengths to go to putting the phone up to someone purportedly on their deathbed, breathing yeah. heavily, doing the faint names. Like I thought that was the most affecting part of it. I won't, I'll admit like that brought tears to my eyes because that's an impossible situation to be in. And then you look at Teo, who's just like, I'm trying to do the right thing here. Like, I think this is real. And you're forcing me to have these emotions that no person should ever have all for your own, like sick game. Naya's lack of repentance in this, I found awful. I just, I have no sympathy for her. Even after all these years, it doesn't seem like she gets it. I think that she enjoyed being on camera for this. She used it as kind of like a vehicle, I thought, to like increase her own brand. And there's been very little reflection. I mean, there are times where she says like, I'm not proud of the choices I made, but it's still a failure to grasp that you can't play with people like this. You really can't. And it take away the fact that Teo is a famous person who was in the limelight. You shouldn't do this to anybody. And then, but she had the added privilege, I would say, of seeing this ecosystem collapse and seeing the tentacles of her lies affect real people, affect a community, affect a college football season, affect fans at home. Like, how do you just keep that up? Like she was so addicted to the way it made her feel, she says, that she keeps it going and even tries to like bring Lene back from the dead. Like it's psychotic. Yeah, uh, it's something you see like in the uh, in the original Catfish documentary and then in the series. Just it's crazy to think that somebody would play this. I mean, basically, it's it's like a prank, you know, just playing this prolonged prank and keeping this up forever just for who knows what the actual reason was, you know, I mean, she says like that she care she cared about him you know it's just it's a relationship that naya would not have had with teo under normal i mean under normal circumstances and just the way that these people are able to do this and keep it up for so long it's impressive as it is scary i don't and yeah it's just sad the way that the media is so happy to go with this uh with this sadness like every every story has to be told um and it's it's like this we want it to have we want this to be um because it's it's a better it's a more interesting story like Giannis had the big 50 point triple double in the uh in game seven to win the finals but I mean if you put like if his mom was sick or if he had like a even like a strained hamstring that we could just throw on to make it more legendary, to make it seem like we're seeing something even more important and impressive. Like it's, it's what we want. We don't want to just see like 
the, the third leading tackler in Notre Dame history. We want to know that he was doing this with a heavy heart. And then the way that the media and fo- and the football teams so quickly flipped. And he was he played through all this adversity, which is super impressive. But then we find out that it was false. You know, he was he was being tricked. So then it's like immediately like all that all that hard work and playing through the adversity didn't mean shit. It's like so then he drops into the second round because people are suddenly he can't be a leader. I mean, and it threw off his entire career, it seems, which sucks. And he still played almost a decade in the NFL, which is pretty damn impressive. But who knows what could have been. It's a guy who had it all. Um, and then he kind of had it all taken away from him. And he had that happen while he was perceived as a villain. The original sin of the media, I think, is making it the storyline. I understand how some of this stuff didn't get fact-checked. I think looking back, it's easy to be like, okay, well, someone should have called up. But usually when people tell you things like that, like you trust them to not be lying, like that stuff is going to happen. Uh, It was interesting that a simple Google search was all that it took to really get the ball rolling, especially after saying, giving Tim's bona fides and saying, I used to run an interesting circle as anonymous. And then it showed him like Google searching Lene Kakua. That was, that was pretty funny. So you have that sin, you have the second sin of running with it without fact checking, but the biggest one of all, and one that has only gotten worse in the time since this scandal broke is what happens after it becomes a national story. And I was kind of disgusted with a lot of the clips that they showed because it's just people opining and weighing in on stuff that they have absolutely no clue about, right? You have people, it's leading the morning shows. It's on the Today Show. It's on Good Morning America. My wife wanted to watch this documentary because she remembers this story. Like it crossed over the Rubicon where everybody was talking about it. And everybody has to throw their own two cents in with no information. Like if anybody knew all this information and had seen this documentary, they never would have said the things they did about Tao. They never would have like treated it as this thing where he was complicit or he was being dishonest and disingenuous. They would have treated it with the respect and care that it deserves. It was just kind of gross that like, I mean, I remembered that he went on Katie Couric and she asked him if he was gay. Like, how far are we away from what is actually going on when that happened? And his response too, like, yeah, I'm sure the big lead did a post where he laughs and says far from it, but that's a man asking a, that's, that's a man fielding a question about his sexuality on national TV that he never, college age, never appreciated. He's 21. His whole world is falling apart. Like he's not going to have the perfect words. And it seems like he didn't have the perfect words even when everything was fine. So it's just like the situation he found himself in And then the inability to understand that this person is suffering and it's not just tabloid fodder, that there's real people behind it is kind of, kind of amazing. And that was nine years ago and it's only gotten worse. Like we just don't care about these people. If we were to take a step back and be like, look, there's a human being attached to the name that we're talking about online all the time. Like it's fucked up. Like we would never do that. I mean, most people wouldn't if they really thought about it, but it's just because it's like rote behavior. Like this is the topic du jour. Here's my big meaty, juicy take on it. Even if it's totally inaccurate, I have to have one. 
Yeah, and it's it's horrible because if if he had been gay, that would have ruined his career even more. I mean, he probably wouldn't have been drafted if that was the truth. I mean, you know, we like to think we've come a long way. I mean, this wasn't that long ago, but I mean, was it Carl Nassib uh, just got re-signed as an openly gay football player? Uh, who was the Missouri player? Who Michael Sam. Michael Sam uh, never really, I feel, I feel like he never got a real shot in the NFL. You know, I mean, Kaepernick, Neil, and, you know, it's, he's pretty, he's done. Just anytime that any of these guys do things that aren't even wrong. I mean, just standing up or kneeling or just like coming out and saying I'm gay. It's like, so he's got to, that's got to be his reaction as like a 21 year old football player. It's like, I, I need to be like, oh, far from it. You know, I got to save my job. It's just incredibly sad. <laughs> you know, I forgot that tailing was a thing, like yeah. the Harlem Shake, where you would put your arm around someone uh, and pretend they weren't there. I don't know how much of that I participated in in the time. I'm sure a little bit, but like, I don't know about you, but I felt a little bit of regret for treating it like a joke. And again, like, you know, we've all come 10 years and, and gotten a bit smarter and a little bit more sympathetic to people, but it's kind of like, even if your intentions aren't bad, even if you consider yourself a good person, you get caught up in it and you think it's funny. And it's just like, how did this guy ever, he'll never have a normal day the rest of his life. He talks about how people still laugh at him. Like, you know, the day after it breaks, he says that it used to be, Hey, 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 that's Manti Teo. That's Manti Teo. He talks yeah. about walking into this room of prospects and it's like, secret, hey, that's Manti Teo. That's Manti Teo. And the conversation just stops. Like it's some sort of like John Hughes movie. Like I, I can't, I can't really fathom it. I, I, I really can't. Like his story is so specific. I can't think of another example where someone at this center of the cultural zeitgeist has been thrown into the blender and just like that became a totally new person forever. And there's nothing he could ever do. That's going to change that narrative. That being said, what a human being, what yeah. a human being, if he is living the things that he gave voice to in the documentary, then he's better than all of us. And it seems like he is, he wants to be an inspiration to people. He doesn't care if a thousand people laugh at him. If one kid finds inspiration, that's good. And he says it in a way that's not cheesy and hokey. I really believe him. I He was so reluctant to do press on this for obvious reasons. I think it's only coming out because his playing career is now over. Mm. One wonders if he had addressed it head on earlier, if things might have been different. But you can't fault him for growing as a man because he's gone from a college kid to someone who's approaching 30 and you learn a lot and you learn through these lessons. I just, I, I could not, it's the dichotomy between the way that Teo, who's the victim in this has grown and Naya, who is the perpetrator has not grown, could not be more clear. And I thought that the documentary did a really good job letting them say things in their own words and letting us walk away with, the impressions that we couldn't help but have of these individuals. Yeah. I mean, what, what was he supposed to say? I mean, he went on Katie Kirk. He talked about, I mean, at that point in his life, he's not going to sit down and do a four hour 
six hour interview for a four hour doc or two hour documentary. Um, you know, he, he addressed it and then got to the combine. He's like, I know what you guys want to talk about. You know, I, I've talked about it. I just want to talk about football. Cause I mean, what really, what else was there to say? I mean, we, we didn't know the exact timing and all that stuff of everything and how wild it was, but I mean, I just don't know how any of that would have helped. I, I really think that just like if he had taken like 10 minutes to talk to uh, Tim Burke, so it was in the original story. Because, I mean, what really, there's nothing you could say, really. I mean, I, I got tricked. I was I was gullible about this. I mean, the media saw it and took it because it's an incredible elevator pitch. It's right there in the title, the fake dead ex-girlfriend. It's so simple. It's so easy to pitch. No, I mean, that's why it was on every single morning show. And I mean, we, you know, we got to see, it was crazy to see. I mean, it's not really crazy, but just like 10 years ago, seeing like the familiar faces popping up, like uh, Greg Gutfeld. And uh, I think Peter Schrager was even on one of the uh, talk shows talking about it. Um, and let's not forget Dr. Phil. Uh, I had completely forgotten about that. Dr. Phil shows up and the reveal of Dr. Phil as he slowly walks in front of the camera. And I'm like, who is this? This is like going to be a bombshell. He sits down. It's like Dr. Phil. I'm like, okay. And then to show parts of that interview where, uh, where Naya is like behind the curtain or whatever, like on the couch and he's like, do the voice. And I've talked to these FBI and CIA experts who say it can't be you. I, I mean, there was just so much wild stuff before that led up to this. And then in the aftermath is everybody tried to sort it out, which is really a simple, a really a simple thing of just like one person lying to someone online and just having a fake conversation with them for a year. It was incredible to look back at. I thought that pretty much everybody besides Naya came off pretty well. I thought yeah. that both Tim and Jack Dickey, we're straightforward. Uh, yeah. Jack weighs in says that people cared about the nonsense and they were wrong to do it. I thought that Alex Flanagan, who was the reporter for NBC covering Notre Dame at the time, really humanized the subject. I thought that the parents were great. Manti, obviously, I mentioned his friends, his support system. And I even think that Jack Scorbuck did a pretty good job laying the groundwork for what was going on there. And even though I know that people in power always graded on a curve and we don't like anything that they do. I can understand the thought process. I understand why a big institution like Notre Dame did it that way. The shadow of religion is presented. I think that religion is a big part of this documentary. They probably could have focused on a little bit more, but I think that everybody walked away with some growth and you saw that there was only one real villain in the story, maybe two, if you want to count like the blood sucking media blitz that came afterwards. Yeah. Overall, I couldn't recommend this enough. I thought that it was perfect for people like you and I who are intimately familiar with this story. There was the cool part about seeing his progression at Notre Dame and his background was really instructive to understand the type of person he was. Getting every question answered that we had, I think was was yeah. awesome. Like, okay, this is how this happened. Like, it's just very straightforward, but it was also accessible to people who just kind of knew the story. Like my wife who didn't really know about KO that much outside of the scandal was able to like, it worked because 
the deception was laid against what was happening in his football life. And you have to have the two working together to understand exactly what his frame of mind is. So I would highly recommend it. It's deeply impactful and it'll make you feel things. Uh, and, and maybe, you know, the next time something like this happens, we'll try to do a little bit better. I'm not holding out any hope, but I know that for me personally, I've thought about this a lot and this just really hammered it home that like, yeah, I mean, there's an impact. There's an impact when someone becomes the main character in the news cycle. Yeah, it's it's tough sometimes when we get a main a new main character and especially I mean sometimes it's like a really bad person. Sometimes the main character is just bad and or done something very bad. But sometimes it's just somebody that's something weird has happened to and it's remembering that they're a person that is very difficult you know i mean it's hard to think past the computer screen sometimes like that this person lives in the real world they have a family they have friends uh they have a job and i don't know it's it's tough to remember that sometimes uh so yeah sometimes you look back on something that's been online you feel bad you just hope to be better uh the next time it happens and i i just want to point out i had forgotten uh that jack dickey um shared the byline with tim uh, i knew somebody did but i've forgotten who it was and that's just that's an incredible part of the story where it's like just a unpaid intern on a friday afternoon sifting through the email and then he ends up working with tim on like the biggest uh one of the biggest deadspin stories of all time it's just crazy. The circ- another thing where it's just incredible timing or horrible timing, you know? Yeah. I mean, you know, the juxtaposition too of him being the same age as Manti is, is pretty incredible. You know, they say that he did a lot of the reporting because he was on break from college at his parents' yeah. house in Connecticut. You know, just really basic stuff, sending texts back and forth, look into this. How do the pieces fit together? Uh, it's a pretty cool journalism movie. Uh, yeah. because it's not stodgy it's very updated it's very you know it's this world that we've lived in obviously we've never gotten the scoops to this magnitude but this is kind of how it happens it's just like well wait a minute something seems off here let me poke around a little bit more you pull on one thread you have no idea what's going to come and most importantly you have no idea how that's going to be received and synthesized by the people who are reading it because like i said before if the reaction had been a little bit different and you make a good point, if Teo had been presented in his side in that initial article, this whole thing changes, you understand why he wasn't, but it's these little choices that have such a big effect. All right. Well, that was the Manti Teo story. Like I said, about a four stars, I'm giving it a three, five. What about you? It's about as good as a documentary can be. It, it didn't drag. It was quick. It was tidy. It was efficient. Yeah, I was surprised when I clicked and saw it was a two-parter. Um, it was, yeah, but there was really no wasted space. So go ahead, watch it. I'd give, I'd also give it a, as a documentary, sure, four stars. I'm just going to agree with you on every star rating. Well, I gave it a three, five. So oh. we are, uh, we have discord and disagreement and, and we'll work it out in the future. I'm Kyle Coster. That was Stephen Douglas. This is The Big Stream. Check out thebiglead.com. This podcast, also The Big Weekend. We have a new 
first debut episode coming on Monday. If you like sports, if you like pop culture, we are attempting to be the only site to ever combine those two. I like all those things. Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall credit card bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall credit card bill. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba.